Well, if you're like me, you've been uh, watching on Facebook or perhaps on TV about just the uh, fascination uh, and the popularity of the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. How many of you guys have done the Ice Bucket Challenge yet? Okay, a handful of you? Yeah. And it seems like every day a friend or family member that I know takes the Ice Bucket Challenge. You go on Facebook and you watch, uh, watch the video. And we have a, a couple from our church who actually did this, and here's a video of them doing that. Hello. We are Pete and Sonia Alquist, and we were nominated by our loving family, Nick and Trisha Johnson. And we accept the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. We are now nominating, let's see, Josh and Samantha Alquist, Eric and Katie Lackinen, Eric and Rachel Axlin, and Aaron and Christina Davis. So, you're up next. One, two, three. <laughs> Mommy, take <laughs> Tell him to stop it. That's a great video. Pete, Pete is so stoic. You know, he doesn't talk. He doesn't even respond to the ice-cold water. And Sonia's like, ah, which I love, too. The kids are shooting the video. Mommy, get a towel. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the popularity of, of the Ice Bucket Challenge is not just for common folk as well, right? We're seeing celebrities and people on TV do this, and recently Conan O'Brien uh, took the Ice hey, Bucket Internet. Challenge. And here Conan O'Brien here. Now, a lot of people have been calling me out on this ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Uh, I just want to say I accept. This sounds like a really sweet deal. Apparently, if I get ice water poured on my head, ALS will then pay me $100. That's a pretty sweet deal. I could use that cash. Let's do it. All right. Whoa. Wow, that was cold. Okay. ALS, send the check to Conan O'Brien Care of the accountancy firm. Hello, Hill. hello. You don't get paid. You get dunked and paid. I pay? Yes, it's a charity. Why would I do both? Why would anyone be giving you $100? Because I got a lot of ice-cold water poured on but me. But it's a charity. They're not going to give you money. So I don't get paid anything? Do you need $100? That's ridiculous. You really need $100? That's stupid. Hey, well, guess what? Psych! ALS, check this out. Plastic ice. Plastic ice. That water was a balmy 92 degrees. I felt nothing in your face. Oh, that was real. hilarious. Well, I, I, think, I think one of the sort of driving forces around this, how viral this has gone is community, isn't it? It's being nominated by a friend or family member, and then you do it, and then you nominate somebody else, and it just keeps uh, going on, and it's, it's a worldwide, worldwide craze right now. And, and com I think community is really at the heart of this Ice Bucket Challenge. This morning, I want to talk about that. We're in the midst of a, a series of sermons called The Big Three, and Chad kicked it off last week, you know, and talking about the big three is not the, the three uh, branches of government. It's not LeBron James and Kevin Love, most re recently in Kyrie Irving, if you're a basketball fan for the Cavaliers. It, the big three is really about what we're trying to accomplish here at Maple Grove Covenant Church. And, and really, it comes down to last week, Chad talked about worship, is that each of us are wired for worship. And this morning, I want to talk about community 
And then next week, Chad's going to come back and talk about service. And that's our big three. So when it really comes down to defining being a, a person who participates in the life of our church community, Maple Grove Covenant Church, it really comes down to those big three. And this morning, I want to dive into community. And as I do, I, I know that you don't need to hear another talk, another message on uh, the purpose of community or the rationale behind community. So I want to kind of come at it from a different angle. But what's interesting is that when you read in the Bible, um, there's, there's these thou shalt nots, these thou shalt statements. In Exodus chapter 20, for example, in a very well-known passage of Scripture called the Ten Commandments, we read about thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet. But it's interesting, we get to Jesus, he doesn't say thou shalt go to church. He never says that. Not at all. What he does instead is actually he forms a community. If you have a Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to the New Testament, Mark chapter 3. And we're going to spend some time in Mark and Matthew in particular, looking at how Jesus exemplified community and what he sought to do. So instead of trying to give reasons for it, we're going to talk about what it looks like. What is it? In Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, he doesn't say, thou shalt go to church. But what he does here is, is very noteworthy. Verse 13, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out uh, the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him. In other words, do life together. They were to be this community. And he would send them, send them out to preach. In other words, he doesn't say go to church, but what he does is that he forms a new community. And they just did life together. As, as we read in subsequent chapters in Mark and the other Gospels, is they ate together, they laughed together, they argued together, they watched each other grow, um, they challenged one another, they watched each other's, washed each other's feet. They just did, did community. There wasn't like a, a purpose statement around, around community from Jesus' standpoint. They simply just went and did that. And in the end, this small group... This small community changed the world like no other group has. Like no other group has. And this didn't occur, occur because Jesus told them, this will happen. You'll change the world if you go to church together. Never happened that way. Instead, he formed a close-knit community of people who surrendered their lives to one another, where they learned to surrender their lives to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to use them and transform them for the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And I think each of us, when it comes to this kind of community that we read about in the Gospels and we see Jesus, is something that we long for deep in our bones, right? The question for us this morning is it's not what is it or the purpose of it. The question is why is this so hard? Why is this so hard for you and I to have this kind of community. I think each of us would want to go online and be able to just kind of pick three or four life-giving, supportive, loyal friends. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that? To have this sort of intimate community. Scott Peck, who is a writer and sociologist, um, he became a Christian. And he talked about community. He talked about the importance of community. And he wrote about how it happens. And what Peck described was that when it comes to doing this life together that we see with Jesus and the disciples is what he called 
true community. Something that each of us long for, this true community where we're doing life together, where we were able to put um, our guards down and be really open and transparent with other people. Each of us long for that. And Peck described that, that true community is something that as followers of Jesus, because he became a Christian later in his life, is something that we long for. And, and for many of us, it seems like an ideal because most of us, Peck argues, are over here. What we call pseudo-community. Most of us are over here, and this is the sort of Minnesota ethos, right? Everything's great. Everything's good. Everything's nice. Sort of superficial, um, keeping things in order, um, managing our image, and making sure that we come across in a really good way. But deep down, there's something lacking. We don't have that, that, that true community that Peck talks about. Most of us are, tend to be over here in this pseudo-community, and we sense that. And we don't want to live that way any longer. So what Peck talks about is how do we get from over here, the pseudo-community, over to true community that we see in Jesus and, and perhaps we see it in other people. And, and maybe you've experienced that at one time in your life as well. How do we get into that? I remember, for example, when I was a youth pastor, I had a group of freshmen I became very close to. And it was a confirmation class. And a part of the, the um, accomplishment of spending a year together studying the scriptures and growing together um, was to actually go to, Col- to Colorado and actually uh, hike up uh, one of the collegiate peaks in Colorado. And here's some pictures of the collegiate peaks. Absolutely beautiful. And I had never done something like this before. And I had these freshmen with us, and we uh, hiked up uh, one, of the, one of the peaks, 13,000 feet. It was right on the Continental Divide. And here's a picture of me with a couple of the freshmen, and it's towards the end, and I'm, we're kind of losing our minds. We're just kind of singing for no reason at all. We just thought it would be fun. But um, I think I lost like 20 pounds during this sort of week of hiking. We had very, very, uh, barely any food. But it was incredible because we were in these tents together. We were doing life together. We had spent the last year together studying the scriptures. And we had this, this sense among us, this, this true community, where kind of dropped our guard and were able to really do life together. And, and in fact... To this day, I'm still in contact with those two guys. And it was, it was kind of funny because one of them thought when we got to the very top of the peak, you know, 13,200 and some feet were up on the top of the peak, right on the Continental Divide. He thought it would be really nice to uh, urinate on both sides. So that's what he did. It's a little joke. So, sorry, I had to, I had to say that. I still remember that. It was really, really funny. Anyways, uh, my point is, uh, but around true community. Is that something that, that perhaps we've had at some point in our life, and it's something we long for. So how do we, how do we get it? How do we move from pseudo-community over to true community? And what Peck argues, he calls this the tunnel of risk. It sounds like a movie or something like that, but that's what he's talking about, a tunnel. And you can see the video behind me that's playing, and it, it's scary. Because to move out of pseudo-community means you have to enter into the uncertain. You have no idea what's on the other side. It's dark. You have no idea. It's this, this danger and uncertainty. To really dive into true community, Peck argues, is that you have to enter into this tunnel of risk. So this morning, what I want to do 
with looking at examples of Jesus because that's exactly what he did. The disciples were here, and Jesus was over here, and he wanted to form this true community with these 12 disciples, as we read in Mark chapter 3, is that he was not content on leaving the disciples over here. And what he did is that he took steps in this tunnel of risk. And maybe for you this morning, is something that you can apply in your own life. This might be something you, you can apply to your marriage, or maybe some, some close friendships, or maybe it's yourself where you're at in life right now. But let's talk about, let's talk about these steps, these steps of, of moving into true community. The first step is the risk of asking. The risk of asking. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew. It's going to be to your left if you're in Mark. Matthew chapter 4. And I love this passage where it's Jesus um, as he calls these disciples. But Matthew gets a lot more specific in terms of how he goes about doing that where he actually approaches certain ones of the disciples. And Matthew notes this in verse 18. It says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Verse 21, a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. Now, in the scriptures, whenever we have a theme that's repeated almost back-to-back or pretty close in proximity, the author is trying to make a point, okay? He's sort of highlighting something because we see Jesus doing two similar actions where he's actually moving and he's inviting these disciples to do life together with him, you know, in in relation to to Mark chapter 3. And that was something that was very uncommon for rabbis in the first century. It was common for them to have 12 disciples, but it was very uncommon for them to actually go out and initiate and ask. They didn't do that. In fact, disciples, they would call them Talmudim, would actually come to them and apply because the reason why the rabbis typically didn't do this is because there is a risk. There is the risk of rejection. The disciples could simply say no. And this was something seen b- below rabbis in doing that. But what I love about Jesus, our rabbi, is that he, he moves down and he takes the first steps and he walks towards these disciples. He invites them in community. He doesn't kind of stay over, you know, where he's located, but he actually comes among them, comes to where they work. He invites them into this beautiful, amazing life together. He takes this risk of asking. And that's an important step for us as we move from pseudo-community into true community is taking the risk of asking, initiating. And maybe for you, it's simply to initiate with a couple of people to, to form a group or a club. I mean, how many of us have been a part of some sort of group or team or club or something where it always came down to somebody asking us, right? Typically, it, it just doesn't happen on its own. Somebody asked you to be a part of this biking club or someone asked you to be a part of, of this group over here. And for us, though, as we think about community, to move away from pseudo-community is to to enter into this tunnel, it's uncertain, 
It's dark. You're not quite sure what's going to happen. But to enter into this tunnel and risk it and to ask, to initiate. How many of us in the room, I'm just going to ask you a question to respond, where you asked somebody on a date and they turned you down? Okay, there's like six of you. Uh, One of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not lie. (laughs) Okay, let's try this. How many of you have a friend you know who (laughs) asked somebody? Okay, there you go. How about another one? How about you went on a date and you wished you would have rejected that person? (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah, there's more hands. There we go. Okay, you're being honest now. All right, we're, we're moving into true community right here in the sanctuary. This is great. All right. But anyways, that's, that's what we're talking about is this risk. And it's not easy. It's not easy for us to do that. It's very hard to move away from um, a safe, sort of comfortable way of life and to move into this, this true community. It requires for us to ask, to initiate, and to really trust God that he's going to help us along the process. Perhaps for your marriage, it, maybe you're at a point right now where it's pseudo-living. It's a pseudo-marriage. And it's been going on for some time. It's the superficial, external, everything looks good, but the inside you know, you desperately know something's wrong. It doesn't have that authentic, true relationship. And maybe it's up to you to kind of take that first step, to ask, to initiate. You're not quite sure what's going to happen, but maybe it's up to you to take that step and, and, and for God to work in the midst of that. It's so important for us. And, and I think too often, you know, at least for me, it seems like, you know, we wait for someone to ask us. And I want to encourage you this morning, and perhaps you've been attending for a few weeks or a few months, and you've been here, and you're experiencing this, this pseudo-community. It's fine, it's nice, but you really want something deeper. And I want to encourage you this morning, on the communication card that's in the pew in front of you, to actually take a step to fill out... Um, our community groups ministry. And they're going to be starting up here in about a month or so. And I want to encourage you, if you're somebody who says, you know what, I'm tired of this pseudo-living. I want, to, I want to get deeper. I really want to experience what this true community is all about. I want to encourage you to fill that communication card out and put in the offering. And we'd love to follow up with you. Or maybe you have been in a community group and for some reason it broke apart or, or it's changed. And you're not satisfied with that. And I want to encourage you to try again, take another step to initiate, trusting God that he's going to lead you into really experiencing community. All right, the next step, the next step is, it's not only the risk of asking, it's also the risk of challenging each other. Because when we get into true community, it's that nice balance between encouragement, support, but also challenging one another. Because pseudo-community over here, there really is very little challenge. You know, it's mostly encouragement, but there's very little loving challenge where, where somebody calls attention to something in your life in a loving, gracious way because they believe in you, they're behind you. I'd like to have you turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 33, because we see Jesus, again, doing this, where he's calling the disciples out from this pseudo way of living, this pseudo community, in verse 33. You can see it on the slide behind me. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled into a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer. Kept it quiet. 
that's what happens when you're in pseudo-community. Keep it quiet. Don't talk about it. Just keep it under the covers. They didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Jesus, he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be, the, be first must take, place, must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. I, what I love about this is that Jesus doesn't allow this to kind of just sit there. He doesn't allow them to keep quiet about something. He kind of pulls it out into living color and discusses with it. And that's what true community is. It's talking about those issues that are kind of underneath the surface. Uh, underneath the, surface. the sort of subterranean issues and, and, and topics that perhaps cause friction or tension like this. They're arguing about it. And, and Jesus just kind of calls attention to it and discusses it. And he's molding these young men. He's molding them into true community because that's what true community does. It talks about the issues, the topics, the things that typically most people want to just pass over. They want to keep quiet. I love it. And oftentimes we don't do it because it's too risky, it's too scary. Yet Jesus says, hey guys, what are you talking about? And I'm finding that my best learning these days actually happens in those moments, those moments of tension those moments of disequilibrium and dissonance where it's uncomfortable, it, it, there's tension, and, and, and I don't really want to get into it with somebody, and, and yet in a, in a loving, gracious way, we talk about it. I find that my best learning these days happens in those moments, and I want to encourage you when that happens. And you can sense it. It's like for a fraction of a second or so, you, you have a choice to make. Are we going to address this? Are we going to address the elephant in the room? Or are we simply going to just kind of pretend it's not there and just sort of stay over in this, in this pseudo-community? Well, there's a, there's a word that Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, teaches us in doing that. As you enter into this tunnel of the risk of challenging each other, he actually uses a certain word to sort of captivate this. In Romans chapter 15, verse 14, he writes this. You don't need to turn to it. I'm just going to mention it briefly here. I myself am convinced. I, I like how Paul kind of starts that out. He's really convinced about this. I myself am convinced that you are competent to admonish one another. Now there is a good biblical word, right? Admonish. Seems like it's, it's a word from the 19th century or something. We really don't use that word very often. What does that word mean? Uh, well, the word means to instruct. It means to warn. It means to call attention to something. And that's exactly what Jesus did here with the disciples, where he kind of calls attention to this sort of debate and argument that they were having. What is that, that issue or that topic in your community, or perhaps in your family, that needs to have attention drawn to? Maybe God is tapping you on the shoulder, wanting you to take that step to actually talk about that, to challenge maybe a sister or a brother, and say, you know what? This is what's been going on, but we, we need to move in this direction. Well, a few weeks ago, right here in this sanctuary, during one of our congregational updates, town hall meetings, um, John Alquist, uh, one of the leaders of our church, did exactly that. And I was just so moved by what he said. And he was talking about um, how one of the challenges of churches is going sideways with information and, and gossiping. And I actually believe that's one of the biggest barriers to church health and growth. I really do. I think gossip and conflict, how a church deals with conflict, is a big, important deal. 
But John was just talking about that, that as a church, we, we need to do this properly, and, and we need to deal with conflict in, in, a, in a biblical way. And what he was doing, he was admonishing our church, he was calling attention to something, that it had been very safe and easy for John to simply stay in his pew and, and just kind of listen and nod his head and smile. But what I think what John was trying to wanted us to do as a church is really move towards true community. And that means that we have to kind of step into this risk of challenging each other. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. Um, it kind of gives you a stomach ache. But it, it's necessary. And we see that with Jesus, is that he calls attention to that. And in so many different ways he does that. So I want to ask you the question this morning, maybe in your community group, maybe in the group that, that you do life with in this church, is there a step that needs to be taken about challenging one another in a loving, gracious way? Where, where you need to take that step of, of, of challenging, but also perhaps be actually, actually receiving challenge for somebody as well. Or someone actually calls attention to something in your life. And that happened to me recently in... in I'm kind of wired sort of like self-preservation. And when someone does that, you know, I start tensing up and I find my right, no. Um, but you kind of have that reaction, like you want to kind of do something. And, and yet, just, just kind of slowing down and hearing the words that that person was sharing. It was so good for me to hear that. In fact, I, as I was allowing the words to kind of sink in, and it was a good trusted friend to saying, hey, Craig, you need, to, you need to pay attention to this in your life as I allowed those words to kind of sink in and kind of drop down my defensive mechanisms and just allowing that, it felt like the Holy Spirit was really speaking into my life. And it was a very teachable moment. And I felt God kind of wanting me to move in a certain direction to be, become a better follower of Christ. So we have the risk of asking. We have the risk of challenging each other. And there's one more, one more step that we need to take. And also, this is not exhaustive by any, any means, but another step that we can take to enter into this, this tunnel of risk is the, the risk of vulnerability. And this one is a hard one. This is one item that continues to challenge us. But as you dive into the life of Christ and you read about his words and his actions, it inspires us, doesn't it, when we see Jesus doing that? And perhaps it's, it, it surprises us that he has this absolute unwavering commitment to vulnerability. Not just when things are going well, but in times of challenge and tension. And at, at one point, I love this, uh, the popularity of Jesus was, was hitting a, like a fever pitch. Kind of like the ice bucket challenge. I mean, everybody was responding to him and following him. And in one of his teaching, he raises the bar. He says, if you truly want to follow me, this is what you need to do. And he raises the bar. And one of the gospel writers notes that many crowds stopped following him. They left. And in a moment of vulnerability, Jesus asked this question to his disciples. Are you going to leave me too? That's vulnerability. Are you going to leave me too? It's such a poignant, vulnerable moment. And then we kind of move towards the, the end of Jesus' life here on earth um, at the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and probably the moment of, of the greatest crisis of his life. And um, the Bible says that, that Jesus was full of sorrow and full of anguish. And I, what I love about this is that instead of hiding it by himself, instead of kind of doing this on his own individually, he invites three of them to be there among him, Peter, James, and John, right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you have a Bible, let's turn to Matthew 26, verse 38. It's a very telling scene. Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. And again, we see another demonstration of Jesus moving this small group, this community, towards true community. Where there's asking, there's initiative, there's the challenging and loving of one another, but also vulnerability. In verse 38, Jesus says this, He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. If Jesus can be that vulnerable, that transparent, um, who, who am I to hide? I mean, he's just opening up what he's experiencing inside. He's sharing uh, these deep emotions. Who am I to hide my emotions? Who am I to, to hold back or circumvent my own kind of vulnerability? And we live in a culture, though, that something like this is absolutely countercultural, right? It seems like um, one of the motivations of life, at least in American culture, seems to be image management, where we pose, we sort of posture ourselves in a certain way because we want people to see us in a certain way. We snap a selfie, and it makes it look like our life is just beyond words. It's the perfect life. And it's all about image management. In many, many ways, our lives are being defined by being a billboard of giving this sort of appearance. But that's pseudo-living. That's pseudo-living. When we come together, when we stand alongside one another in our weakness, in our moments of greatest crisis, and we just open up and say, this is, just, this is beyond, this is so hard for me. And, and it brings us to our brokenness. And to actually invite somebody into that um, may teach more about Christ than you ever can nail down in a Bible verse or evangelistic opportunity. When you invite somebody into your greatest challenges and you're vulnerable about that and yet you're walking with God, it might be the, the greatest time where you reflect who Christ is and what he's like. Well, this morning, I want to I close with one of my, this continues to be one of my favorite images um, of the scriptures. Because Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, they had this sort of true community, and then we read in Genesis 3 that sin came into the world, and they blew it. And their lives, their relationship with self, with each other, with God, with the created world, was fragmented and broken. And in Genesis 3, they're living in this sort of pseudo-community. And they have fig leaves on, so things kind of seem okay. They're covered up. Yeah, but deep inside is this shame and this guilt. Shame in terms of what they've done. Shame towards God. They're shameful, they're embarrassed. They're hiding. But also for, with each other, there's this blame game going on between the two of them. And it's this sort of pseudo-community. 
And after God uh, points out the consequences of their sin, it's called the curses in Genesis 3. I just love this, this amazing picture. It's a very vivid picture. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. You can turn to it if you want to. I'm just going to mention it here. Is that in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their pseudo-community and pseudo-living, God comes among them. And he doesn't say, you're required to do this, you need to do that before I'm going to love you. Or you need to do these things before I'm actually going to accept you. No, it says in verse 21 that God comes among them and takes away their fig leaves, superficial, pseudo way of living, and gives them new clothes and heals them and makes them whole into this true community where they have right relationship with self, they have right relationship with each other, they have right relationship with God, and also they have right relationship with the created world. In the Hebrew mind, that's called shalom, living shalom. And that is my prayer for our church, is that as we enter into the fall, and we're not perfect, but can we move away from pseudo-community in our community groups, in the different groups that we interact with, can we move away from superficial living where it's about image management and actually enter into true community where we laugh together, we eat together, we, we, we um, argue together, um, play together, worship together, and do life together. And as we do that, that God's name would be glorified. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks this morning for your teaching. Thank you for the opportunity that I've had to sit in, in this teaching all week and to allow it to speak into my life. You're so faithful. God, each of us understand, we understand community, but the question is why is it so hard? We thank you for um, the blueprint that we see in Jesus as he forms this community of young men who later change the world like none other. God, I just want to take a moment and perhaps you're prodding, perhaps you're prompting some of us to take one of these steps, to step into this tunnel of risk. And as we do, whether it's a marriage or a friendship or a family, uh, son or daughter, group of people that we do life with, as we step into this tunnel of risk, because we care so much about them. We, we care so much about them that we want things to change. And as we take those steps, we remember your words in Galatians, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Even though as we enter into this tunnel, it's uncertain, you are with us. Help us to experience your presence. God, thank you for this life that you've given to us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.